the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The Gospel of the Lord. Pray with me, please. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, speak to us today that we might have ears to hear what your Spirit has to say and that we might grow more and more into your likeness, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, years ago when I was serving down at All Saints Church in Pauley's Island, then uh, Terrell Glenn did a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and it was called The Garden Principle. And with permission, I asked him if I could do that series. And we did it several years ago, about five years ago here at St. Paul's. And now we're doing it again. In fact, for those of you that are visiting today, we're in the middle of this series. This is the halftime, if you will. Um, We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We're looking at how God wants to cultivate His character in His body. Those who who call him Savior, those who have submitted to him, how God wants to cultivate the fruit of his spirit. And this is what we read in Galatians chapter 5, this character of God that Paul writes about, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So we've been looking at each fruit over the last four weeks, and, and we consider two things, and I want to Bring this up just kind of as review for those of you that maybe haven't heard and haven't been here. Every week we consider a different fruit of the Spirit, different character of God, and we consider two things. One is how God grows that, how He cultivates this fruit in our lives, that He actually does change us. Not that we wake up one morning, we've got some kind of spiritual fairy dust sprinkled on us, and we all of a sudden uh, manifest the fruit of love, a joy, or peace. No, no, he actually expects us to participate in what he's doing. So God meets us in life. And he doesn't ask us to suspend our lives, to suspend our participation in what he's doing, but he shows up in life. This is what he does, and he shows up in those particularly hard parts of life, those parts of life that maybe we just want to throw away, that we just want to discard, those difficult moments of life, those no-good moments in life, the bad stuff of life. And God says, don't waste a good heartache. As we considered last week, the fruit of the Spirit, patience. He he says, don't waste your sorrows as we consider Romans 5, uh, 3 and 4 last week. In other words, what God is saying is that don't take the difficult circumstances of life and, and think that nothing good can come from them. 
So we call this the Gordon Principle, but it's something that we get out of the Bible of Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. That God actually takes what we might perceive to be a no good, barren wasteland, a wilderness, and how he can turn it into a garden, a garden of the Lord. This comes right out of Isaiah 51, 3. And he places us in that garden, and it's in that garden that he begins to cultivate his character. He begins to cultivate his fruit. And as we go through the tough times of life, the difficult seasons of life, our participation is responding. And we respond by faith. That means we take God at his word, which is what faith is. We actually believe that he can take anything that we're going through, he can use it, and he can transform it. Where do we get that from? We get it from Romans 8, 28, that in all things God can use, he can use all things for good for those who love him. All things, the good things, and especially those difficult things. But if we're honest with each other, we know (laughs) when life isn't going the way that we want it to go, when life really hurts, when it's difficult, it's hard to say, Lord, I know you're giving me your best. I, I know you're doing that. And, and, and it's hard for us to do that because we have this perception problem. And that we don't see it the way that God says it, which is, again, what faith is. Seeing it and believing it the way God says it. So what we're to do, our part in this, is to respond in faith, to trust him, to take God at his word. And it's after we finally submit to him in that difficult moment that we submit to trusting him that we begin to get it, that we can begin to connect the dots, we can begin to see it. So each week, what we've done, we've looked at a different circumstance of life. And we've seen how God takes that circumstance in life and he he cultivates this, this character of him, this fruit of the Spirit. So that's the first thing that we've been doing. The first thing that we've considered is that God changes us. And the next thing that we consider every week is that for every characteristic of God, there is a counterfeit. The world, the devil himself, comes up with something that's a substitute, something that looks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. And love and joy and peace, it might look like the real thing, but it has no substance to it. And that when we consider the real thing, the real characteristic that God wants to cultivate in us, we realize that there are two different things. They're entirely different One is the substitute, the counterfeit, and the other is the real thing. And for a lot of us, we've been duped. We've been deceived in believing that we're living into the real thing when it's just the substitute. God changes us. And every characteristic has a counterfeit. So that's kind of the basis of where we are right now in this series We're at the halfway point. We're going to look at the next characteristic that God wants to build within us, and that's kindness. Do you realize that studies have been done? Studies have been done asking people the question of, why why do you not go to church? Or why why do you not really surrender your life to Jesus? Why, Why do you not follow? And do you know what the number one answer is? Get ready. The number one answer to that question is, 
they look at us. <laughs> they look at us. They say, you know what? I don't see it. I don't see it in your life. I don't see a change. You are no different than me. You have kind of blended in. You've, you've, you've conformed to the ways. Of the world. You're no different. I don't see any change in you. They don't see the supernatural characteristic that God wants to cultivate in our life. They don't see the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And in fact, there are probably some people here today, people that, that have been coming to the series and, and, and maybe having a hard time believing that, that these characteristics are actually supernatural characteristics, this fruit of the Spirit. And I need to tell you today that there's no characteristic that is harder to convince someone about than kindness. This is what we're looking at today. The supernatural characteristic that God wants to grow within us of kindness. I mean, for crying out loud, we have a phrase, don't we? The milk of human kindness. And it's, just, it's a commodity that we just go to the store and we pick it out. I mean, anybody can be kind. I mean, our mamas taught us how to be kind. So how can kindness be a supernatural characteristic of God? Well, what is kindness? What is biblical kindness? Philip Keller writes in his book, A Gardener Looks at the Fruit of the Spirit. He defines biblical kindness as love showing mercy. Love showing mercy. And when we look into the uh, Greek for this word, we see that the word actually means generous, self-effacing mercy. That's what we see in, gen uh, in Jesus. Generous, self-effacing mercy. It's generous. It's not calculating. The supernatural characteristic of kindness is not calculating. It's not stingy. It's generous. It's self-effacing. What do I mean by that? It doesn't look to itself to see what it might get that it might gain from being kind, merciful. What do I mean by that? Well, it actually holds back from people what they might deserve because of their sin, because of their mean spirit, because of the situation they might find themselves in. That's what God wants to cultivate in us. That's the real thing. Kindness, generous, self-effacing mercy. So let's go ahead and ask, well, what is, what's the counterfeit? What's the substitute? What is it that maybe I've believed and, and, and I'm really living into that, but it's not the real thing? Well, get prepared. You know what it is? It's being nice. It's being nice. In particular, mixed motive niceties. It's to counterfeit to kindness because it, it looks like kindness, but it lacks the substance of kindness. What do I mean by that? Well, being nice appears to be generous. It appears to be sacrificial. But actually, it comes with strings attached. I'm nice to you with an eye out for what I'm going to get in return. And that's very, very different than what Jesus wants to grow in us. The supernatural characteristic. That's very different than the, than the character of God, the kindness. We heard it today in the gospel out of Luke. Listen to this in verses 32 to 34. 
If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Do you hear it? Do you hear what we're talking about? Jesus is talking about being nice. And that's the counterfeit to kindness. He's talking about being good to people because they're going to be good to you. He's talking about lending to people because you know you're going to get paid back. He's talking about giving with strings attached. Expecting to get something in return. He's describing being nice. It looks like kindness, but it's not. And what Jesus is doing today, he's warning us. Don't be fooled. Don't be duped. Don't be deceived. Being nice is not the real thing. It's nice, but it's not kindness. Kindness is totally different. It's generous, self-effacing mercy. Listen to verse 35 again. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? For kindness, we take the very people that we would never expect to pay us back, people that we have no strings attached to, and we invest in them. We show them mercy. We're generous with no regard to what we might gain in return. And Jesus says when we do that, we look like our Heavenly Father. In fact, we see the specifics of that. Again, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He's kind to the ungrateful. He is kind with mercy. So we see the difference in being nice and being kind. So in this series then, so where, where does God cultivate kindness? What is the garden that he cultivates kindness in? I mean, we all know how to be nice. We know nice. We've grown up in the South. We, we're nice people. But where does God cultivate kindness? He cultivates kindness in the garden of guilt. In the garden of guilt. And if you're anything like me, you fertilize that garden. I've got plenty of guilt. Do you realize that we walk around the same, in the same emotional turf that... that people did in the day that Jesus walked around all humanity none of us is a stranger to guilt in fact we've all been accused by our own conscience for not doing what we know that we should do or not doing the things that we or doing the things that we never should have done we we're even guilty of self and it's this guilt and this remorse we all know what it's like no one is exempt from guilt 
And the question is, what do we do with our guilt? What do we do with it? We all know it. Well, you know, sometimes what we do with our guilt, we just stuff it down. We just stuff it. Other times what we do with our guilt, we let it control us. And, and so we ask, well, how long should I, should I deal with guilt? How long should guilt last? And for a lot of us, it depends on what we did, what we're guilty about. I mean, if I did a little thing, if I stole a pencil from, from my friend's desk, well, that's a little thing, so I got a little guilt. But if I did a big thing, if I did something heinous, well, guess what? I've got a lot of guilt for a long, long time. We all deal with guilt. We all deserve guilt. But that's not the point. The point is, what do we do with the guilt? Do you realize upon the cross... As Jesus hung there, the full weight, the full measure of our guilt, of our sin, of our shame was put upon him. Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He became all the guilt and shame and, and sin. And his love gives us an opportunity to receive forgiveness as a result. Guilt isn't meant to endure in proportion to the immensity of the offense. Guilt should only last as long as it takes us to get our attention to return to Jesus for his forgiveness. However long it takes, and we call that repentance, guilt should should last as long as it takes to get us to turn to Jesus. You know, in a telltale sign for us, for unresolved guilt is, we get hypercritical with other people. We give ourselves away with, with this critical spirit that we're struggling with unresolved guilt. I mean, we point out other people's faults. We share how wrong and how horrible other people are. We pick on anyone else's offense. I mean, that's a critical spirit. I mean, go back to the beginning. Go back to Adam and Eve. When they they felt a lot of guilt. In their shame, they hid from God after they disobeyed him. And when God encounters Adam and asks Adam, Adam, you know what he did? He placed blame. It's the woman you gave me. And God encounters Eve. Eve, you know what she did? The devil made me do it. It's like Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. That's a critical spirit. And it's like that in our hearts. It's like this. It's like we've got a balance. That there's a scale of guilt and there's a scale of blame. And when we do something... We feel the full weight of guilt. The guilt side gets heavy. 
And so we do whatever we can to get the guilt back in balance. And we've got two choices. We can get rid of the guilt or we can heap on blame. Guilt and blame. So we either heap on blame to get rid of the guilt, to get the guilt in balance by criticizing others. Or better yet, we criticize ourselves, which leads to depression. Or we can just balance the guilt out by turning to Jesus, by seeking forgiveness. And it's then that the guilt is lifted and the scale is balanced. This is illustrated wonderfully in, in, in Luke in chapter 7, just a uh, chapter over from where we read the gospel. It's a story, it's really Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Just listen to this. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner, and so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. Then she kissed them and poured perfume on them. Verse 39, when the Pharisee saw who had invited him when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself the Pharisee said to himself if this man were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she's a sinner but Jesus answered him don't you just love that Jesus heard his thought Jesus answered to Simon I have something to tell you tell me teacher Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay them back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon the Pharisee replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus said, you've judged correctly, Simon. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been, given, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. A lot there. So what's going on? What's going on is that, that this Pharisee and this, this woman are both sinful. That's why Jesus told this little parable. None of them that can pay back. And, and, and so which one's forgiven more? I guess the one who has the greater sin. So this Pharisee and this, and this reading chose not to deal with guilt faithfully. Instead, he, he, the, the guilt kind of weighed on him. So how did he even the scale out? He, he, he applied criticism, blame and criticism in his heart. That was what verse 39 was. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, Jesus, you would know who was touching you. And what kind of woman this woman is, that she's a sinner. This critical spirit, do you hear it? 
It's applied to Jesus, and not even applied to Jesus, it's applied to the woman. He's, he's blaming her. His inner world was balanced through heaping blame. So that, that's how he dealt with guilt. He was guilty before God. You see how he started out? See how it looked like being nice, the substitute? I mean, in the very beginning, he said, Jesus, come to my house. Jesus, come have dinner. I mean, that's nice. That's what we do. Come have dinner. Come to my house. And Jesus comes. But that's about where it is. In contrast in the story, Jesus points to the woman. He points to the woman who stood condemned because of her sin, just like Simon stood condemned because of his sin. But yet, she apparently received the forgiveness of sin. And you say, well, how do we know that? Because Jesus describes it. He describes how this, this, this woman's character had changed, how it became manifested in kindness. God had planted her in the garden of guilt, and she responded faithfully, and God grew this kindness in her, this generous, self-effacing mercy. And just go back and consider, look how Jesus takes Simon the Pharisee to task. He says, okay, Simon, here's the deal. It's the custom that when a stranger comes in your house to wash his feet. You didn't do that, Simon. She wept my feet with her tears. Simon, you, you didn't give me a towel, but she dried my feet with her hair. Simon, it's the custom to, to give a person a kiss of peace. You didn't do that, Simon. You can almost hear that he doesn't do this because he doesn't expect to get anything in return. No, Simon, she kissed my feet the moment I walked in. You didn't give me the gift of oil, Simon, to freshen up, but she poured this expensive perfume all over my feet. See, Simon is dealing with guilt, and, he's, and, and the guilt is it, it, manifesting, and he's blaming it. There's a critical spirit. They're blaming it through the critical spirit of, of the woman and Jesus. But we see that this woman has received enormous forgiveness. Her guilt is covered by forgiveness, and it's manifested in kindness, the kindness shown to Jesus. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This generous, not calculating, self-effacing, no strings attached, mercy. He grows kindness in the garden of guilt. Do you realize that guilt, a lot like anxiety, when we were studying peace, we talked about anxiety. Guilt is a warning signal. It's a warning signal to us to say, you know what, something is wrong. That God uses guilt to turn us to him. John 16, 8 says this, that, that the first work of the Holy Spirit is to what? It's to convict us of sin. That we might examine our hearts. That we might rush into the throne room of heaven to seek forgiveness for whatever the guilt is pointing to. That's repentance. And that's taking God at his word. That's our response. That's how we participate when we're in the garden of guilt. 
But we've got to receive the forgiveness. We've got to receive the forgiveness so that he can cultivate kindness. And I wonder, I wonder, are we satisfied with just being nice? I mean, is it good enough for us just to be nice? Because I'm going to go back to how we began. There's a world standing on the fringe of our lives saying, show me that it's true. Show me that it's real. Show me that you can change and be grown into the character of God. Show me that it's different. And what do they see? A bunch of nice people? Or do they see the fruit of the Spirit of kindness, which is cultivated in the garden of guilt, which God can manifest kindness? Which one? Is it being nice or is it being kind? Let's pray. Father, we just want to linger here for a minute. Lord, Lord, none of us are exempt from guilt. Lord, teach us now with the guilt that we know how to respond to you. Show us, Lord, where we have been critical of others. To balance our guilt. That we might turn to you. That we might repent. Give us the ability, Lord, to drink deeply from the cup of your grace. From the cup of your forgiveness. That you would use that, Lord, to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.